Thank you, Miguel. Um, good morning, Solano Church. My name is Emma, and I'll be reading the scripture this morning. I invite you all to open up your Bibles and read along with me. We are in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to give a quick plug for uh, the prayer gathering that's coming up this Friday. This is a pastoral plug to lay on top of Esther already describing it to us. Uh, we're going to gather together here on Friday night to pray, and that's all we're going to do is we're just going to pray. And we've got some plans that we've worked on together. We have had lots of conversations as a church leadership and tried to discern where God is calling us in this next season. We do this every year just so that we have a kind of a focus to where we're headed. But you know, all those plans without the infusion of the Holy Spirit, without the presence of God, without even sometimes the correction of God in the process will amount to nothing. And so we want to come together and really call upon the Lord to be present with us in this coming ministry season. So would you just... Just right now, even just think about, okay, what, do you, what, what are you going to do Friday night? What do you normally do on Friday night? Um, you know, I know on Friday night, you, you might not want to be doing prayer, um, but would you just, you know, step out in faith for this Friday night and be a part of what we're going to do here in this, in this room to really pray um, for God to be with us in, in the coming season. So put that in your calendar. Put it seven to nine o'clock right here. Um, without this, you know, what we do is, is nothing without prayer. So join us, be a part of that. I'm very excited about it. Miguel and I have been working on it. The theme is Rend Your Hearts, and it's going to be good. So be a part of that. So Lord, would you uh, make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight this morning as we study your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've just finished a series called Why Church? And we were really looking at what is the blessing? Biblically, what is the benefit? Why is it that we should be part of a church community? And uh, just to refresh your memory on what we were talking about there, we uh, had four different reasons. And there are, there are actually a lot more than that. We had four reasons why you should be part of a church from a biblical standpoint. And the first one was truth. We all want to live lives that are connected to reality, that are aligned with the truth of this world that God has made. And so the church is a way for us to align our lives with the truth. And the con constant participation in the community of the church is what helps us to do that. We talked about health. Uh, Jesus has 
uh, offers living water. And we talked about how uh, when we come close to Jesus, uh, we, are, we are filled with that living water. And we even looked at some statistics about how people who are part of a church community uh, end up having all kinds of uh, good things happen in their lives. Transformation takes place. We talk about impact. Remember, we talked about the salt and light, that we are salt and light uh, in the world. And so by being a part of a church community, we get to be salt and light in the world, have an impact on the world. And then lastly, we talked about glory. That, and this is the mysterious part, that being part of a church really calls us up into God's glory. Uh, it connects us to um, this incredible thing that God is doing where the angels and everybody in the heavenly realms is looking down to see how God's going to solve the problem of this brokenness of this world and he solves it through the church. And I know the church is a mess and sometimes it seems like it's so imperfect and yet the angels are looking down and seeing and they, they are so inspired by what God is doing in the church that they, it fuels, it's like fuel for their praises and their worship. So, so those are the reasons we looked at as to why you would want to be a part of a church. And being a part of, part of a church, just so we're really clear on this, is not coming on a Sunday. I mean, that is part of what we do together as a church. But the church is the people. The church is not the building. So participation in the church is participation in the community of the church, which is made up of people who call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, so that's, that's kind of the, 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 the why church question. What we want to do now is bump for a couple weeks into this, this question, well, what are we doing and how are we going to do it? So we talked about the why, sort of the deeper purpose question. Now we're talking about what are we doing and how are we going to do it over these next two weeks. And, and we're going to look at this uh, by looking at what people often will call our vision. We are we're gonna, an organism. The church is an organism. It's, a, it's an organic community. We're also an organization. Uh, and, you know, if you put it in organizational terms, this is our vision and our mission. But sometimes that's uncomfortable for us. We, we'd rather think in terms of the living organism of the church. And, and if you think of it, you want to think of it that way, this is really the what and the how of the church, of Solano Community Church. Now we started, when we started 17 years ago, uh, it was really important for us that the what and the how of Solano Community Church emerge out of the biblical text and out of the words of Jesus Christ. And so we just, I mean, it, it almost seemed like cheating. We just sort of took what's called the great commandment and made that our vision statement. And uh, For those of you who are not familiar, uh, there's two passages of scripture that are so central to all of scripture. They're so well known, uh, they're so important that they have special names. There's one, the great commandment, and the other, the great commission. And as a church in those early stages, we decided that our vision would be the great commandment, which is what we're going to talk about today. This is going to be what we do together. And that our mission would be the great commission. The how of church would be answered by Jesus' statement on the great commission. We'll look at that next week. All our efforts alone, you know, we, we, we have this individual journey with the Lord and together we have this collective journey with the Lord. They're all aimed at this one thing. What is that? And the answer is here in this text that Emma read for us, the great commandment. 
The Great Commandment appears in the New Testament in three different places. It has roots in the Old Testament. So uh, Jesus was just gathering the teaching of the Old Testament. I've chosen for today this passage in Mark that was read for us, uh, which has this interesting dialogue between the scribe, and it's where the scribe asks, which of all the commandments is the greatest? And Jesus gives this reply that, that, you know, as I was sitting with it this week, it just has this powerful, powerful resonance. It continues to resonate all through time from, from that day long ago when Jesus said it. And it's, it's sort of unequaled by any other statement that's ever been made really in any language or in any place. The great commandment. I mean, this is, the, this is like if you wanted to try to say, what was the greatest thing that was ever said? You, this, would be, this would potentially be the candidate, the highest candidate for it, the great commandment. So what is it, Jesus says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these. I want to try to answer three questions in the time that we have today coming out of this text that we've been looking at. What is love? I keep having this Tina Turner song in my head. Anybody know this one? What's love got to do with it? All right. What is love? We're, not going, to, we're going to go to the Bible, not Tina Turner. Um, and we're going to, uh, how do we love? Uh, and <laughs> Sorry. Some of you are like, Pastor Andrew listens to Tina Turner. <laughs> uh, okay. What is love? How do we love? And then who do we love? What is love? How do we love? And then who do we love? All right. So the first one is what is love? And I'll try to be a little less goofy. Um, the question the scribe asks is probably not one that we would ask. Um, so a little context here. Why does he come to Jesus and say, what is the greatest commandment? Um, there are 613 commandments. That was sort of the tradition that the scribes had. There were 613 commandments that, from the Old Testament that the Jews were supposed to follow. Okay? Um, and so the scribe comes and he says, which one of basically all these 613 is the most important? And, and you might wonder, why is the scribe asking this question? And the answer is because both from an internal sense and from a societal kind of Jewish culture sense, this would have been the felt need of the day. This would have been the felt need, especially for a Jewish scribe. I want to know how I can follow the commandments. There's 613. I need some help to know what that looks like. Now, Granted, we probably would ask a different question, right? If we were, if we were in this moment with Jesus, we would ask a different question. Um, we would probably ask something like this. What must I do to live a fulfilled life? Right? That's kind of more the language of our current cultural moment. What must I do to live a fulfilled life? But what strikes me about the words of Jesus, and you see this over and over again, and as we pass through seasons and times, all throughout history, you'll just see this over and over again. What strikes me about the words of Jesus is their everlasting constancy. I mean, that, that question that we want to ask is answered in the same words that Jesus speaks. In other words, if you want to be fulfilled, if that's the question with which you come to Jesus, then the answer is the same. 
to obey the commandments, to live a fulfilled life, the answer is you must love. You must love. That's what Jesus says. So what is love? We gotta start there. We gotta kind of clarify what we're talking about here, especially I think in our day. Um, When I do weddings, I often talk about how love is one of the most misunderstood words in our vocabulary. That there are so, it's such a loosey-goosey kind of word. There are all kinds of ways that we think about love. There are all kinds of ways that our society promotes what it calls love. And so we have to discern. I was thinking about how Eskimos have, what is it, like seven words for snow. Uh, Because they're used to all the different nuances of snow. So they have different words for those. We need that with love. But we just have this one word that we try to apply on all the different circumstances that we encounter. Um, Well, C.S. Lewis helps with this. And in Greek, there's actually four words that could be connected, that could be uh, translated as love. And he wrote this book called The Four Loves. And I want to look at it because it helps us to explore a little bit about what the meaning of love is. What what is love? And, And then we'll look at which word is used here of Jesus uh, when, it's, when it's written in the Greek, which word does Jesus, uh, the, the, is attributed to Jesus here? Okay, so C.S. Lewis calls out these four different loves. There's eros, which is romantic love. There's phileo, which is friendship love. There is storge, which is familial love, which is, it's not, it's kind of in the New Testament in one verse as kind of a hybrid, but it's, it's there in the larger cultural understanding. This is the love that you have for somebody in your family just because they're part of your family. Uh, And then the last one is agape love, and I'm translating that as godlike love. And let me say something about it. If you think of agape love as exemplified in Jesus as he gives himself to his disciples, and and think about this in the most full-orbed way. Um, He doesn't just give, sometimes we think about agape love, when you'll hear people talk about agape love, they'll translate it as sacrificial love, as if agape love is only when you're loving somebody that you don't want to love. But it's actually much fuller and richer than that. Agape love um, is when, is, is like when Jesus spends time with the disciples, and he does life with the disciples. He eats meals with the disciples. And it also includes when he takes off his outer garment and washes their feet. And then afterwards, he goes to the cross to offer himself a a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for them. So agape love is that sort of full-orbed kind of love. It's, It's, if you wanna know what it is, the best way I can think of is look to the person of Jesus Christ because Jesus is God incarnate, God taking on human form to show us what agape love is. C.S. Lewis talks about agape love and he says that all the other loves are like training for agape love. So there, there are connections here, but the ultimate love, the summation, what we're headed towards is Agape love. Agape love is the ultimate of all loves. I was so blessed this last weekend to go backpacking with my son, my oldest son. I have two. 
Uh, this one's just turned 25, and um, so we planned this backpacking trip. So thank you, Paul, for taking the pulpit and letting me go uh, spend this really precious time with my son. And uh, i just been praying, you know, Lord, help me love my son well. Um, and I had my home group, you know, praying, help me, help me love my son well. And there was this really sweet moment. Now, he's, he's 25, so um, I'm really enjoying that, you know, we're kind of developing the phileo love over the last years together because he's 25, he's a man, and we get to go backpacking together, and, and it's, it's like hanging out with a friend a lot of times, and I really enjoy that aspect of it. Of course, there's the storge love, which is the familial love. I look at him, and I'm still his dad. He's still my son, and I have that natural inclination to love him. But there was a moment where on the first day, we had hiked all morning, and it was a heat wave, and it was incredibly hot, and we had this one last stretch to go. And it was really steep, and um, we kind of had to take a pause because we're just feeling it, sweat. We've been going hard. He loves to hike hard, and so I was just trying to keep up on the back. And we had these big packs on, and um, I looked over him. It was just—it was one of those spiritual moments. I mean, I, I probably not get, my words will not do it justice, but I just had this this like incredible wash of love that was deep and rich and full for my son, who's a man who's standing there next to me and we're facing this thing together and I'm feeling, the, the next morning I got up early and I'm writing in my journal and, and the way I described it, it was like, it was like this combination of phileo love and storge love in a sea of agape love. Because it's the thing, when you're, when you're a parent, and I think this is what draws us so often into a deeper understanding of what agape love is, you can run a long ways on storge love, especially when the kids are really cute and little and your heart just melts every time you see them and you just want to scoop them up and hug them. And I look at these little pictures of our kids when they're young, you know, and it's just storge all over the place. It's easy in a sense. But then as you do life together and it goes on, right, there are times when you have to love children in a way that's greater than that. And if you don't have some agape love to add into the mix, you won't be able to get there. And in this moment, 25 years old, we've been through all these things together, you know, that was the message that God was sending to me and showing me what C.S. Lewis says, that these other loves are like training ground for the greatest love, the agape love. So I hope that gives you a sense. Think of Jesus when you think about agape love. The greatest thing you can do with your life, Jesus is saying, is to love God in a way that reflects how he has already loved you. And if you want to answer the question, how has God loved you, then you look at Jesus. So much more to be said about that. But that is what love is when we're in the biblical realm, when we're talking about Jesus is agape love. Let's jump onto the question then, how do, we, how do we love like Jesus loves? Jesus says we're to love God with, and here's the answer, all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. So there's four modifiers here, and they're meant to convey really the totality 
of one's being and resources. So there's a lot of overlap in these words, um, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, if you try to do a really careful study of what each of their definitions is so that you can sort of break them out, you, know, you can kind of do that to a point, but there's just a lot of overlap. And probably what Jesus is trying to communicate by using these four terms is that you're to love God with everything that you are and everything that you have. But let's do a little bit of definition here. Um, so just with that caveat, the heart... And we think of the heart, in our current context, we think of the heart almost exclusively as feelings. But if you go back and look at the way that heart is used throughout the whole sweep of Scripture, what you will see is that probably more often than having to do with feelings, it has to do with the will. That's the volitional part of the executive center of your being, the decision maker that lives with inside you. That is the heart. And I think we have lost a huge kind of portion of what it means to be a human being because we don't talk about the will enough. We don't talk about the fact that God gave us a will and part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is taking that will and getting, getting it over into the presence of Christ. Rather than holding on to it and saying, I want to do what I want all the time, right? That, our culture is just running the opposite direction in this case. We don't even, we don't, we're not even aware of how significant the will is and the fact that we can give it over to God. We can give our will over to the Lord. So I just want to call that out because I think it's a really important piece. The heart is your, is your will. Yes, it has to do with feelings. Um, but it really is that executive center of your being. And so you're to love God with your will. You're, you're to align your will with the will of God. Now that's something. That's something that brings change and transformation in a person's life. The second one is soul. The soul is really the animating force of your life. Uh, and as such, it can sort of include all of your experiences. But when God breathed, you know, in, uh, into the soil to, to make Adam, Adam, uh, and Eve, Eve, uh, that was the soul. That was his breath. So the, the soul is the animating force. And some would say that it, it sort of is the, is the overall encompassing understanding of what it means to be a human being. But you have to keep that that real uh, understanding of where it comes from. It's the animating force of your life. So, so what makes you, you know, more than just an animal? What makes you more than just a tree is, is that soul. What makes, your, make, what makes you exist on into eternity is that God-given gift, that image-bearing soul. And that also is what we're to give to God in love. We're to, we're to, we're to, to lay down and give back to God in love. And then we're to give him his, our mind. Uh, and here, again, the complexity, if there was a Venn diagram of these words, they'd be overlapping. The mind uh, is, of course, the thoughts, but there's also a feeling uh, element to the mind. And I wonder if, you know, in the ancient world, you know, there, there was a sense that feelings exist in your, in your mind. They're connected to your thoughts. And so uh, I think that's an accurate uh, understanding. A lot of times... 
we think of our feelings as so separate from our thoughts that as if they're not connected. But, but when you begin to study, and Dallas Willard talks about this a lot, you can, you can shape your feelings by the way that you set your mind on certain things. That can have a huge impact on your feelings. And so I think it's good for us to see some of these together. And so when we, when we are feeling hard things, we can set our minds on the things that God says and then that can have an impact on the way that we feel. That's part of what it means to grow in Christ-likeness. And then lastly, uh, the strength. The strength has to do with the exertions of your body. So it's not merely just your body that you give over to God in love. It's, it's the way that you exert the energy and the life force that you have to make things happen in the world. And you want to, what, what, what Jesus is calling us to is to think about how, how can I exert the sum total of the energy of the body that I've been given in this world in such a way that I'm expressing love for God. See, Jesus did that on the cross when he exerted himself, when he had the crown of thorns and the cross on his back and his body was being crushed, he'd been beaten and whipped and he was making that long, painful road towards his ultimate death. He was exerting himself. He was giving his strength over in love. So we love God when we align our will with his. Jesus said, I have come not to do my own will, John 6, 38. We love God when we think of ourselves as belonging to him and, ex and, and existing for him. We exist for him. Jesus said, I do nothing of my own authority. John 8, 28. We love God when we renew our thinking so that it aligns with God's. Jesus said, my teaching is not my own. John 7, 16. We love God when we use the exertions of our bodies in the service of God. Jesus said, I can do nothing of my own. John 5.30. Now you can't do all of this perfectly, right? But you can do it more and more with God's help. And here's the powerful truth. Loving God with all that you are is not a zero-sum game. And I think this is where we get tripped up a lot. Loving God with all that you are is not a zero-sum game. You might be tempted to think that loving God is depleting yourself. That might be true if you were in another context, but to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength is actually to be made full. It's to be made full. And the more you test it, the more you just say, hey, let me try this. Let me give a little bit more of myself to the Lord. Let me, let me align my will. Let me m try to match my thinking. Let me bring my feelings in accord with, with, the, with God's commands and teachings. The more you do that, the more you will experience this to be true. That you will not be depleted, you will be filled. And this is the lie that the enemy wants to lay on you and keep you from embracing this incredible call to love God with our, all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you know, without reserve. We hold on because we're like, oh, wait, I'm going to lose something if I do that. No, you're not. It's going to be gain. It's going to be win. It's going to be fullness. It's going to be life. Don't hold anything back. 
from who you are. Nothing. I think, you know, you, you kind of look at the biography of, you know, I don't know, people gone before us and they learned some things and, you know, Martin Luther famously said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Right? And this has been my walk with the Lord, my journey with the Lord as my life has become more complicated. You know, my, my, you know, I'm in that sandwich generation. I know some of you are there. We've commiserated together. My parents are failing and ailing. My mom just had a stroke a couple of weeks ago. Last time I was in the hospital um, on Friday, she doesn't know me anymore. That's a painful thing to experience. Um, I've got four adult kids and I'm in their lives constantly and you know they're just living their lives and it's intense and it's and a, a church leading a church through a pandemic and all the difficulties and challenges that come with that and and then I, I, I also am leading the church planting efforts for our movement of 1600 churches in the United States so my life has become more complicated and how am I gonna live I have found that what Martin Luther says is absolutely 100% true the only way that we can do all these things is by loving God more by by digging deeper by giving more of us to the Lord by spending more time pursuing relationship with God no we can help each other in this as a community. And in two weeks, we're going to launch a campaign that I'm pretty excited about, um, which is to encourage us really in, in loving God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And it, we're, we're gonna, what we're going to do in two weeks, this is our Vision Sunday on September 25th, so I hope you're all going to be here and we're going to have our congregational meeting afterwards. But on that day, we're going to launch this campaign to practice the spiritual disciplines. And throughout the fall... We want to encourage each other as a congregation to be practicing the spiritual disciplines because that's going to be a tangible way for you to answer the call that Jesus has on your life and on my life to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So we're going to help each other with that. All right, and then how do, who do we love? We know we're to love God, but the second commandment here is that we're to love our neighbor as well. And virtually every commentator who writes on this text says the same thing. They make the salient point. They basically all say the same, some version of this. Your love of God is made evident to you and to those around you by your love for your neighbor. Your love of God is made evident to you and to those around you by your love of your neighbor. You can't say, well, uh, I don't know how to love my neighbor because he answers that question too. He says, as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the solution. That's the shorthand. How would you want to be loved? Love the person like that. Now, this is, this is a, I want to make an important point about this. Your love for God um, being measured by your love for others could be taken as kind of an overwhelming burden. Does anybody feel that sometimes? Like a, a severe critique when you think about that. Because you know, and I know, that we haven't loved the people around us in the way that we could. And so it, it can feel really overwhelming and like you want to run the other way. But I, I want to encourage you to think about it in a more helpful way, this connection between these two commandments. The test, and I'll, I'm going to put this statement up there for you, the test of loving your neighbor is the means by which God reveals to you areas where there is further need for growth. The test of loving your neighbor is the means by which God reveals to you areas 
where there is further need of growth. In other words, don't feel condemned. Because remember, we live on the other side of the cross. We live in a season of grace. We live under the grace of God. And we're not going to meet the great commandment perfectly. There's no way because of sin. So we, we have to create an environment where there's so much grace for our failures to do this. Um, but then we also want to grow into it more and more. And those little moments when you fail to love well, those are indications of areas of potential growth. To dig deeper, to understand what's under the surface. What is, what is God revealing? What still needs to be healed by the gospel in you and is causing you not to love as you otherwise might? When you walk away from interaction, you have a nagging sense that you didn't really love that person well. Anybody have that experience? Okay. The point is not condemnation at that point. The point is to ask the question, why not? What, what needs to change? What's the growth pathway that God is taking me on with that realization? How is the Holy Spirit speaking to me to cause me to go grow and be transformed. I remember a while back, uh, one of these, I took one of these personality tests and it said, Andrew can be awkward in relationships. And I was like, yeah, it's true. So then I, I tried to be not awkward in relationships. And you know what happens when you try to do that, right? It gets worse, right? So then I was like more awkward in relationships because I was trying so hard not to be awkward. And then the Lord uh, revealed to me, look, it's not about whether you're awkward or not. It's about whether you are loving or not. And you can be extremely awkward in your love. And that's okay. Like me. Right? The question isn't whether or not you're awkward. The question is whether or not you're loving. And that's the key question that comes out of this beautiful statement that Jesus makes. Look, just to close this down, um, I think if, if we could, uh, you know, ask ourselves, how can I love this person with the kind of love that Jesus shows us, shows me, we would really revolutionize our relationships and there would be just some great transformation. At the end of the text, when the scribe affirms that yes, in fact, loving God and neighbor are the two greatest commandments, he says, yes, Jesus, you've said, you've said it well. Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom. Mm. Now, I don't know why he says you're not far from the kingdom. Is it because this scribe still has to express faith or repentance or there's something else? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But what we do know is this, is that there's some deep and profound connection between loving God and loving neighbor and the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what's the kingdom of heaven like? Well, it's the place where people love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind and love each other. I don't know about, does anybody want to live there? Here's the amazing thing about Jesus is he says, you know what? As you do that, you're bringing heaven to earth. Even as you endure this broken, painful world and wait for, for me to bring you to heaven, you can bring heaven to earth by how? Loving each other and loving God. And that's why the vision for this church is to make loving God and neighbor an everyday reality. So God, would you help us? Help us to make it a reality. So we want heaven on earth. Thank you that that's even sort of possible by your grace. Help us to love you 
in the ways maybe that by your Holy Spirit you're pointing out right now that we need to grow and change. Help us to love each other in a way that reflects the love of Christ for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.